How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. Oh, oh, I, no, I'm I'm Jake. Hi. Oh, and you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow podcast, episode five. Episode five. Yeah. What, wow. Episode five. Episode five. Half. Half a decade. Half a decade. <laughs> We're half a decade old. I don't think that's math. It, that's not how no, math that, works. Yeah, it is. That's half a decade. What? Decades ten. One per five. year. Oh, I guess I guess. Decade I'm, of ten. I'm episodes. thinking of I'm thinking of decade in the year in the yearly. We're educated. Time podcast. and space. Now, as per the norm, we discuss movies on this show. We're trying something a bit different this week. Oh, yeah. We'll talk we about it later on in the show. Later on. As per the norm, we'll do highlights from the past week and update on my 365 film challenge or any films Jake has listened to or watched in the oh, last yeah, week. Yeah, I only or, listen to both. films. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm a, that's how I highway to listen to films. If I of course, we'll talk about video. our journey. Quick update. Cool. And uh, the movie of the week, which is Christopher Nolan's Memento, mm. his second film. In his catalogue, we have to quickly correct oh, a yeah. film. <laughs> quickly correct a mistake. <laughs> that, so is a, that is not the first or debut film of Christopher Nolan. That is correct. Um, turns out it's his second film. Yeah, Jesse. Uh, we will not make that mistake <laughs> a second time. Um, I think it's a common misconception. I mean, the first yeah. film is following. and Is it following or the following? I think it's the following. Okay. Um, 1998. 1998. Um, two years before Memento, but I think a lot of people do find Nolan was defined by Memento. Oh, that's definitely the first film that's like widely known or so. It still kind of ties into him and now, you know, where he is now, following his last film, which was Dunkirk, if yeah, I correctly. Yeah. And then announced not that long ago that his 2020 film is now, I think, in pre-production or something. Like so that. that'll be coming up later in the show. Untitled but, 2020. But right now, Jake. How was your last week in film? My last week, well, I uh, not you... too bad. Sorry, I was I was gonna ask how I was gonna ask how you're doing this last week. Oh, okay. Well, you got a, you got a bandana on. You come back from your trip. I do. Oh, uh, crazy, yes, I was man. camper. I was camper vanning around with camper Zeke, one of our beloved uh, ZKJ brethren, uh, <laughs> James Norton. Yeah, we were camping all along the uh, the south of Western Australia. Nice. Uh, it's called the Great Southern. If you're uh, from Western Australia, uh, sure, a good chunk of our listeners are. Yeah, I'm I'd, say, I'd yeah. say it's a fair guess. Yeah. Um, and basically, yeah, no, we just we kind of watched movies on the road. Had to get a couple from op shops. Had to get a couple uh, when we had right. very little reception. I was going to ask that because I noticed you did watch some films on your trip. We did, yeah. I've managed to keep up to date somehow. Okay, that's kind of insane. Um, <laughs> it is mentally insane. Um, as of right now, we're at film 43 to 49. So the next week will be the 50th film. And I don't know what to watch for it. So if anyone has any recommendations for the 50th film, you've got... Till tomorrow, where <laughs> mm. I will be watching the fiftieth film tomorrow. I have, I have a recommendation for you, but I kind of want to leave it for one of our um, uh, like directorial debut episodes. Okay, well, I'm, I'm very gonna, excited. I'm, I, won't, that. Um, I kind of want to do it as our episode ten, but I'll pitch it to you later. I'll okay. You later well, this has been do. a big Monty Python week because I've never watched any of the Monty Python films. And it was hounded quite heavily by multiple people to watch the Monty Python (laughs) films, as Monty Python has definitely been a relevant concept in our current film careers too, Mm. Um, especially certain people tackling comedy. Um, So film 43 was Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, The American Meme, which is a documentary that came out in 2017, Memento, did it midweek, 2000. Role Models, 2008. Sorry, the American Meme? The American Meme. What is that? It is a documentary kind of discussing the impact of social media in the last uh, decade or so. What's that? Sounds cool. It's on Netflix. 
and in wide release. So check it out. Oh. I actually enjoy it. It made me sick to my stomach personally. <laughs> so um, in what way? Like just what? Not in discussed? a not in a like oh this is a terrible cinema sort of thing. No no no. Yeah. It was how the impact of the the film had. It was okay. It kind of makes you feel horrified of what social media has kind of done to the human, you know, psyche and, yeah. and so like socioeconomic levels. So it's kind of that's related to your trip that you just took. Yeah, which yeah. you know, as you saw, I was grumbling coming coming down here <laughs> at people because you kind of when you're out in the road with you and a friend by yourself, you know, you kind of get used to just pr- privacy, basically. Right. Anyway, yeah. No, so Mind Horn, interesting film. Okay. Watched. Yesterday, uh, or no, day before, with a really interesting concept, Jake, on also Netflix wide release. It's about um, an 80s um, B action star being okay. called into a murder case, and he has he's an actor who has to play his 80s, like, sort of Miami Vice-like. Okay. It's kind of, it's a quirky film. Yeah. To say yeah it sounds least. very quirky. Like, and then I, I watched Monty that. Python, Life of Brian yep. last night. And tonight I'll be watching Monty Python and the Meaning of Life. Ooh. So I've done them in, in the order top. of their release. Yep. Um, from 75, 79 to, I think, 82, Meaning of Life is. So be interesting to see how that goes. I don't mind Monty Python. I think it was funny. I thought Holy Grail was really good. But I think it also did suffer the same problem that uh, most of the films have. The more money they got, the... Right, okay. I feel like the, kind of the, the lazier wits, they get, yeah, the yeah. wit sort of like I feel like the definitely the jump from uh, Holy Grail to uh, Life of Brian definitely felt like it sort of declined a little bit in some of it, like its yeah, cleverness, right. like ingenuity. Hmm. So, be interesting to see what the meaning of life has to conjure up. So, okay. yeah, I'm guessing uh, bigger budget, even more probably, so. Probably, yeah, I'd probably, I'd assume so. The further along, we shall see. Uh, what about you? What I've seen, I've seen a few films last week. Ooh. Some are some horribly bad, others not so bad. Right. Right. So, uh, as you do, it was uh, Valentine's Day. So, as you do, you watch the sequels to Arthur and the Invisible. I thought you were going to watch Valentine's Day. No. I was this close to doing that. Is that basically an American version of um, Love? Actually. Actually. Well, that's a Christmas film. Yeah, I know, but like in terms of like that, it's now like an American, yeah, like huge cast. I really thing. want to watch. I've never seen Valentine's Day. I was this close to just downloading it, but of course, I'm okay. in the middle of a trip with another dude who actually has a girlfriend, and he's avoiding <laughs> Valentine's Day. <laughs> Probably not the best, uh, best film to uh, bring along. Well, that's but... what you do in my case. You watch Arthur in the Invisibles Oof. number two, which was entitled "The Revenge of Malchazar." And then you watch Arthur Free, which What's... is like the War of Worlds or whatever the hell Hang it's on. called. Hang on, so wait, there were sequels to that movie? There were sequels to that movie, and there's actually quite a history to the sequels of these movies. I can't wait to hear this. Now, okay, for, for first off, the movies are actually fucking horrible. <laughs> <laughs> All three. Uh, okay. I don't know which ones. It, I, look, I honestly couldn't tell you. The give first me the grade. One, so Surely the you graded all three. I haven't graded the first one because I've seen it a billion years ago. It's terrible. Okay. Um, it uh, It's funny because the first one's so terrible because... They had to cut it down because basically all the scenes that implied that Arthur and that chick were like gonna be in a relationship, they had to cut them all for the American like Australian release, just because people didn't get that they're meant to be the same age when she looks clearly way older than him. Okay. Um, and that's why that movie is terrible because it just has like just speeds through this uh, plot. The second and third one have horribly horrible pacing issues because they were block shot. I think that's the term, or they were basically made together. Two and three were made under the same budget and kind of oh, under the geez. same resources. And they were basically straight to DVD films. Mm-hmm. 
they were god awful. <laughs> like animation wise. Um, the, well, like, they have like the cross animation, cross live mm-hmm. action. Like it's the same, but it's just like it's just so. That, I don't even know where to begin. I think it's so corny. It's so bad. Um, but yeah, there's an interesting, interesting history because it came out, I believe in, I want to say France in 2009 and 2010, mm-hmm. like the two films. And then by the time in 2011, when they came over here and like the U S and stuff, they just like gave up. They just put them together <laughs> in the same DVD and released it. <laughs> and I tell you, I tell you this, the, the, um, the second one feels, they're both like an hour and a half long. Yep. The second one feels like it was 10 minutes long. Like it just ends. Really? Yeah. It literally just like ends. So and wait, it's both like films more... are only half an hour long. No, no, no. They're an hour and a half. Each. Like they're yeah, they're featured. They're both featuring like films on their own. But in terms of like the plot and stuff, like it's yeah. clearly like a two-parted episode of a TV show sort of thing. <laughs> and the first one just ends. It literally just ends. And then the third one, I swear to God, it felt like it was four hours long. <laughs> it just went on and on and on. So is like, this what's going to happen? Horrible. I'm going to like present these really like little hidden gems of, of like, decent, great cinema. No, I got some good stuff in here, don't worry. And you're just going to drop the shit. I had to get this shit out. (laughs) (laughs) I had to, because I I watched it, I was like, this is just so, like, bad, and, like, the history behind it was just, like, insane. This was, we were just watching, because the third one, like, ends with, like, these, like, in, in, like, explosions on, like, this giant battle, and it's, like, all these cockroach creatures (laughs) in the real world attacking people. Oh, jeez. And, like, Malcazar, I think he, like, kills the mayor or some crap. Like, it's just, like, all this crazy stuff and i just i just lean back i'm sitting with nat i'm just like batman begins but what batman begins had like almost the same budget as these two films really <laughs> yeah because they were like it was 90 million dollars for the two films and batman That's begins insane. was surely like 120 or something That's like you that. throwing the uh christopher nolan yeah no, i'm, I'm throwing it in i did i did rewatch like batman begins dark knight dark knight rises inception uh not inception sorry um interstellar oh just so you've been going on a nolan kick I just like not just like, in time. Not from episode. like start to finish. I just like started watching the films and like these are good, man. Really good. Very different though from Memento, mm. which we'll get into. But um, no, I, I needed to throw that out. I needed to throw that after out because I just right horrible horrible. That's all that's up with you this week. No, no, I watched I watched a little bit more. So I watched yesterday. I actually watched Cold Pursuit. Oh, the Liam Neeson yeah, one. Yeah, that's went, really cool. My my parents were just going to the movies, and my mom's like, "You want to come?" I was like. Okay, let's watch this. Another Taken-esque Liam Neeson film. And then we sat down and watched it. And it was like Taken, except they were trying to be funny. And it was right. not was landing. It was the most stupid movie I've seen in so long. Wow. Like, even having just watched after sequels, it was so stupid. It tries... It tries to be very Tarantino mm-hmm. with the violence, but it's also got this serious tone. And, like, the first joke of the, the whole thing is about Liam Neeson wanting to get revenge on his son's death. And the film takes itself so seriously for those first, like, 10, 15 minutes. And then the first joke is them at the morgue. And they're, like, they're doing, like, this scissor lift thing to get the corpse, like, to lift up yeah. from the ground. And they play it off as a joke because it's just like, rip, 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 rip. And it's just, done. and it's like, people like uncomfortably laughing the fear i'm like this is horrible <laughs> you've taken yourself seriously up until this point and then like the humor doesn't land the main villain is like laughably bad like i could beat the shit out of him for god's sakes <laughs> and the only the only thing i really like about the film is eventually you realize okay it's not like a liam neeson on revenge film. i mean it is 
but it's like way overly big as well like there's so there's characters who just have no there's like these two cop characters in it mm-hmm. they they no surf no point in the film whatsoever they serve nothing they just exist right. and there's like a whole they spend like i'm not even joking like 10 minutes at least of screen time of the girl cop and she has like this guy that works at this other station they're like got a thing they flirt and that's like a weird amount of screen time they devote to that that has nothing to do with anything. So it feels sort of like, yeah, like it feels like we've almost taken the uh, Liam Neeson getting his daughter back John, yeah. is pretty much a genre at this point. It like basically the, is. The I Liam mean, Neeson action genre is like a subgenre of action. And the thing is, at least with Taken, they established the relationship with him and his daughter. Yeah. In this one, you literally... Movie starts... Liam Neeson's right. And there's actually a really cool shot where you see like this wide shot of the snow and it's all like cold and snow and everything. That's where they are. And you see that you see the snow just kind of like being thrown in the air mm-hmm. and you're like, what's going on? And then the truck comes down and you're like, oh, okay. It's like one of those shovel trucks to get rid of the snow. The thing is they've already established the truck at this point. So it's like, that could have been a cool opening shot. This right. is what I want to say. People waste their opening shots. You know, the film we're going to talk about in a moment has an amazing first shot. Yeah, really. But, so many films now that they just their first shot is like an establishing shot or just a car driving past or something. It's like think about your first shots, you know. Like it was just wasted. And then again, to do with the estab- establishing the the person who gets killed that causes Liam Neeson to go on this revenge. Literally, all we see is he gives his son a lift home, and he's like, "Oh, hey, I'm just picking something up. Bye, mum." And then he dies, and the parents are like distraught. And it's like, does he even live there? Like, this is a son, we get no establishment of what their relationship is like. We just know that he is literally the son of these parents. That's all we know. We get no relationship to, well, their relationship. We don't understand anything about it. He just shows up. He's like, hi, guys. Bye. Then dies. And now Liam Neeson all of a sudden becomes a fucking mass serial murderer. And then, oh, they have all these, like, gangs involved and stuff. The only good thing about that film, oh, God, don't even get me started on Laura Dern. Like, they got, they got Laura Dern in this film who plays the wife, Liam Neeson's yes. wife. And she literally just has no lines. She's just there and looks sad. And about 20 minutes in the film, she leaves him and never comes back. And this point... Pl- that was, like, rocking up on set. God. it's I laughed. I, I laughed because I was sitting next to my mum watching this movie. And he gets home and no one's home. Yes. And he sees the letter on his bed. And it's like, oh, okay, his wife's left him. And he opens the letter and it's just a blank letter. And then I whispered to my mom, like, was that Laura Dern's script? Like, it was just, she had nothing to do with it, and then she just left. The only good thing about this film is when someone died, and you eventually realize what this film is, is trying to do this film, where, like, virtually, and spoilers, you really shouldn't care, this movie sucks. Um, the whole thing is, like, pretty much 95% of the cast die. Okay. And the whole thing established early is, like, when someone dies, it comes up with, like, a little flash title of, like, a cross, their name, their nickname. And it's like this cool little like Western like bang, you know, now this person's cross dead. Okay. And it does that every time someone dies. And it happens like thirty times throughout the film. That's the only good thing about it. And then when like there's like a mass shooting and like thirty people die, it comes up with like all their names in one little card. It's that's that, weird. What a that's weird, clever. Interesting film. It's the only good thing it does. I always want to watch it just out of interest. I think you should. It's just like it's so stupid. You know, it's so much of a stupid. That's the only thing I liked about it, and it's but I went into it thinking it's a it's a taken ripoff. That's what I went into it, it almost thinking, feels, and it kind of is, but no. Well, does, did it feel sort of arcadey, like almost like it was a video game? Was that sort of? The... No, not really. It felt more like a Tarantino knockoff. Okay. 
like with that's, the way that's they're funny. kind of calling a Tarantino people. film and not like a Tarantino knockoff. It's like that's just what it kind of felt like. And I'm someone who hasn't even a seen homage a, artist. I haven't even seen a lot of Tarantino's films, but like that's that's like immediately. Well, perhaps what Tarantino might will be one of our future oh, directors, surely, surely. origin directors. But yeah, this film has an interesting history itself because it's actually based on a, a Norwegian film from 2014 called the um where was it the in order of disappearance which is a much better title because it tells you right off the bat this film is about people disappearing and dying yes and just gone and it was actually from the same director who basically americanized his own film less than five years later that's so crazy it's weird that is it (laughs) it's so weird i don't know man i don't know okay i mean uh came at the worst time to have liam neeson attached to a film well that's the whole point it was about this film that yeah. was all the controversy, and apparently they cancelled their red carpet premiere because of that. That is a tough break for that poor Norwegian director. He probably yeah. thought he was starting to make it big. I mean, it's getting better reviews than what I've talked about it just then. It's actually getting more mixed average reviews. Yes, I heard it's kind Which, of split down the middle. Some people yeah. like it, some people don't. Cause I think like it the... completely missed the mark and it's stupid. It's very stupid. The Jake Diagrello review yeah, on Rotten Tomatoes. Ho- it completely <laughs> missed the part. It's stupid, it's stupid. That's my, that's my take on it. Um, I'll speak through this next one. I've seen one more film this week. Are okay. you are you finished with your list? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I also don't worry for all the crap for all the trial and error this week. Um, I did manage to watch Dallas Buyers Club. Holy camoly! That's the first time you've seen that film. First time I saw that wow, film was a film. few days ago, and um, it was the only time I liked Jared Leto in anything ever. It's crazy, right? It's <laughs> the only time he's like good in something. I'm sorry, but it's it's funny because I still think in that film. I think he's just overshadowed by Matthew McConaughey's performance. Definitely in the sense, like, in terms of the on-screen presence and it's that still he a has. Leto, it's still a Leto performance that's overperforming. It's like, in my opinion, it's still... Okay. If anything, it actually sets the, the cornerstone of what Leto went on to go do with other things, or it was like him just over the top. And it was right. like... It almost felt like we were applauding behaviour in which... I don't know. Like, it feels like... Because he got nominated for Best Supporting. I think they both won. They did. They both, they both won, won. Yeah. And then from there, he went on to go be... I think the, the biggest thing is he was the Joker. Yeah. Which in was... Suicide Squad, in which a lot of people uh, gave him... A, he got a lot of controversy for his on- and off-screen uh, <laughs> mannerisms. Right, okay. And... Does that feel like maybe we were maybe it encouraged the wrong behavior? And we, but I mean, you what, still in gotta, his performance as Joker or in general? Well, yeah, just in general, how he's acted okay. post Oscars. Okay, and I think that's a tricky line to walk because obviously you got to accredit him for his. He's a really good performance. Yeah, that in, in, in this film is a yes. good performance, and it was one of those like, oh crap, that is Jared Leto. That's right, sort of. Yeah, performance is like, oh, wow, okay, he actually does it really well. Yes. But, I think I know what you mean. I see what you mean. And then the, we break into that whole controversial Oscars territory where things are getting put up for Oscars because they showcase... For political reasons? Well, yeah, it's sort of... Yeah. The problem is with any... I mean, the Oscars are just another film festival. Yeah. So you're always going to have films that get put up in festivals, no matter what. It's just the biggest film festival, basically. Yeah. Or the most well-known one. And it's at the end of the day, there are going to be films no matter what that you're going to like being up there, yep. some that feel like they're catering, and then, you know, some that feel like they are the... I mean, we've, the term Oscar bait has been a yeah. huge uh, 
phrase used for probably a decade at least, you know? I films, mean, films like I do get, I get the idea of that the Oscar Beatty film, but it, like that doesn't bother me that much with really anything. No, because I mean, we talked about how we actually enjoyed Green Book, and Green Book's gotten a lot, lot of yeah. Well, that's me. It's gotten a lot of flack for that. Yeah, for being Oscar bait. Yeah, and it's I don't I feel like it's wrong to just deem something Oscar bait sometimes, but. You know, it's it's a tricky line to walk. Yeah, between I don't know. I just I never really bought into that idea of Oscar bait because there are definitely some films that just simply. I mean, obviously there are films that are very much just like they exist to get an Oscar. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like if you're still trying to make a film that says something or has a really 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 good performance, mm-hmm. you know, let's use Nolan again. I mean, Heath Ledger won Best Supporting. For Dark Knight. And the fact of the matter is that film has a lot going for it outside of just that one performance. Yeah. But no one would call it an Oscar bait film, first of all, because it didn't actually get nominated for Best Picture. If it I got recall. a lot of flack it, it for got... not being nominated that year, too, yeah. I'm pretty well, I mean, sure. They pretty much came out and said that's the reason they now go up to 10 films a year. Yes. It used to be five. They pretty much said that that's the main reason that they did it. So I can appreciate that. Um... But at the end of the day, is the term for Oscar bait essentially just film with emotion or forced emotion, quote-unquote? Would be an know. interesting debate to have when the Oscars comes, yeah. comes to town. Well, I think I think next week we're probably going to have a nice discussion because the next week's episode will go live the day of the Oscars. Oh, that's going to be cool. So, But, of course, we have to record it before the Oscars are announced. Absolutely. So it's gonna, so we'll probably yeah. do an Oscar preview episode then. Yeah, we'll, we'll probably pro- do that instead of like our career talk sort of thing. Absolutely. We'll just, yeah. yeah it's a big, it'll be a big thing where we both probably run through maybe the main categories. and Yeah, just kind of talk about our, what we hope, what we wish. We've both seen all seven now, right? No, I still haven't seen Vice yet, but that's pretty much all I'm really going to aim to re-watch sorry, this week, other than obviously our... That'd be really cool, though. We can go in, actually, with a Yeah, exactly. It'll be the first time ever. I'll even try and catch some other, like, category stuff. Yeah, like the sub stuff. Yep, that's fair. Yeah, Um, try that. Is that all? That's uh, pretty much all for this segment. Pretty much it. I mean, I'm just trying to figure if there's anything else from Dallas Bias Club that I picked up. I like the script. There were some nice editing choices in there. And but um obviously it's a very performance-driven film. film. You only watch it to watch McConaughey and, I guess, let her perform. McConaughey, mate. Pretty much it. Oh, he's amazing. He just steals the show. All right, well, coming up on the show, we go for Christopher Nolan's second film ever in our directorial, I mean, review. I guess it's a directorial review of first time ever. We're going with Christopher Nolan's Memento Mm. 2000 film. Uh, Stick around. Exciting. I guess I've already told you about my condition. Oh, well, only every time I see you. It's my memory. Amnesia. No, 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 no. It's different from that. I have no short-term memory. Welcome to our first edition of the Director's Corner. We're going to patent it with that title. I just made it up right then. You just made it up. No, totally. We had this planned. I was 100%. not aware of this. Nah, it's fine. Yes. So this is the first uh, edition. Every five episodes, we're going to do a director's edition. So we're going to pick a director, go to one of their earliest works. Maybe not the earliest, but... <laughs> The uh, like one of their earliest oh. works and kind of draw parallels with that and maybe some of their more recent works. Okay. So this uh, Christopher Nolan is our first director and we are going with the 2000 film Memento. Following his directorial debut in 1998, the following, Christopher Nolan brought us a unique thriller and a critically acclaimed film, Memento. Leonardo, played by uh, 
Guy, Seb- uh, Guy Pierce. I almost said Guy Sebastian for some uh, reason. What, Leonard? Uh, yeah, I almost said Guy Sebastian. Oh. oh, well, there we go. Good start. <laughs> uh, Guy Pierce, excuse me, is tracking down the man who raped and murdered his wife. The difficulty, however, of locating his wife's killer is compounded by the fact that he suffers from a rare, untreatable form of memory loss. Although he can recall details from life before his accident, um, Leonard cannot remember what happened 15 minutes ago, where he's going, or why. The film also stars Carrie Ann Moss, Joe Patliano, and Mark Boone Jr. Very nice. I think I said Leonardo by accident at the start. It's Leonard. But Leonard. I, I mean, got there in the end. Memento. It's one of those films that was probably on both of our blacklists. The yeah, film, a, absolutely. A critical film that we've just never gotten around to watching, and we've been forced to watch it now. <laughs> by ourselves. By ourselves. When did you watch it? When did I watch it? Yeah. Um... Because I only saw early it this last morning. week. Okay, this is the second. I think it's the second week in the row where I've watched it earlier, and you've watched it with like the fresh really... take. So I've got the process yeah. taken. You got the fresh take. Nice. Christopher Nolan is probably regarded between us two, and probably most of the people we I know. I mean, most of like the whole industry, really. Yeah, as one of probably the cornerstones nowadays. Yeah. Someone who has consistently managed to churn out consistently good content. Yeah. He really hasn't had a misstep. I was. I've been reading a lot about Nolan, and not not even in preparation for this podcast, just in general. I think it was it was actually when Jesse Newell, a uh, big shout out there, when he pointed out it's to, a weekly Newell shout out. Well, he because he pointed out to you as well yes. about the the following being his actual first film, and when he pointed that out to me, I was like, oh okay. So I did a quick little cheeky check, and I was like, oh there you go, he was right. And because of that, I just started doing research on Nolan, you know, and not mm. even in preparation for the podcast, just in general because I love the dude. Um. And he seem he's one of those directors where like he he can get his vision across and he does amazing work, but he also just seems like a genuinely nice person to work mm-hmm. for, you know. Um actually a little fun fact, he doesn't let phones on his set. You know, they have a phone on set. I like I, I love respect that. that. I love that so much. He definitely feels like and it's really interesting because he almost feels like he seems to have a lot of sort of old world values. Yeah. Huge but, film guy, but a modern, but also a modern, a mo- like a modern sort of approach. Perspe- to yeah, things. approach. Like, you know how a big problem with aging filmmakers is they often can, some of them can definitely struggle to keep up. Yeah, with the constantly growing industry, and I'm sure we'll probably face a very similar issue when we get much older. Oh, no. Or you know, it's but yeah. he seems to the older he's gotten, he's actually gotten probably more consistent and better with his content. And seems to always find a way to keep people watching. I mean, a lot of people would outright say some of his best films are the films that have come in in the last 10 years. Not, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Memento was 18 years ago. The following was 20 years ago. I mean, that's... 21 now. 21, so 19 yeah. and 21. So it's that's interesting to think about that we're actually reviewing films that are now two decades old, basically. Yeah. And a lot of people would regard yeah. things like Interstellar or Dunkirk or The Dark Knight or Dark Inception. Knight. Oh my God, yeah. These films that all actually came out in the last 10 years. Exactly. This is like more of his newer stuff we're talking about right Whereas, here. Whereas, you know, you know, you you think of people like you know Lucas or Spielberg, a lot of their best films are tied to way, way earlier in their yep. career. Where, yeah, or even Jackson, you know, like things yeah. like, you know, these people that, made amazing films, but they also made them 25, 30 years ago. I think the common thread, and pretty much everyone you just said, is that um, as technology improves, and you just mentioned it as well, kind of how filmmakers decide to use 
um, current technology. I mean, you know, see you see what's um, uh, Spielberg's doing with all the new quote unquote technology that's going on. Well, Ready with, Player One was his Ready, last. Film. Yeah, Ready Player One. It's like how that turned out. But then you look at Nolan. He's someone that you know what he takes out of this new technology is using IMAX film cameras. Yes, sticking a film, but using the best versions of those films, sticking to practicality and using the advancements in you know twenty nineteen you know say now to make more practical things as opposed to CGI things. Yes, you know, he, and the, he really respects that kind of stuff. The interesting thing when we because uh, the big point of this directorial discussion is to just take this director's career and really see what he did so right. You know, so you yeah. can just draw influence from it and draw why this man is, you know, a cornerstone of the industry in a different way. Like, he yeah. definitely went... He went Hollywood, but he went Hollywood the right way, I guess. Yeah. Would be the way to go, the best way of describing it. He's he, not he kept to, He kept to his morals, you know. Yes. Not necessarily from, like, a story point of view, because, I mean, the cool thing about Memento was that it's got such a unique narrative structure. Yes. But he's got no issue... For example, he's got no issue going back to an, a normal, you know, convenient mm-hmm. or, you know, normal quote unquote narrative structure. He's got no problem doing stuff like a Batman film, you know, with his level of prestige. Uh, yes, with his level of prestige, with his kind of um, appearance in the industry, he's someone you could kind of see being like too arrogant to do a Batman film. Yeah, he yeah. did three of them, and they're amazing. All three of them showcase pretty well. Yeah. The funny, the the funny thing is, first initial reaction I got from Memento, because I'll throw you to your initial yes. reaction, was I didn't enjoy it as much as not even like I'm not even talking like the big blockbuster ones, yep. but the film he followed this up from this one was Insomnia. Insomnia, yep. With Al Pacino and Robin Williams, and I love that film. I think mm. that might be my favourite Nolan film. Wow, okay. And I'm not even a big Al Pacino fan. I think he's yeah, he's hit and miss. Sometimes he okay. hits it, and he hits it great. And sometimes... You when mean he... you got his best performance of all time in Jack <laughs> and Jill. Jack and Jill. Jill. Just... Jack and Jill. <laughs> yeah, delete. Delete. <laughs> delete. Um, You're fired. But And he did that literally, I think, with less than, like, less than <laughs> two years after. So I think it was 2001, Insomnia. And that film, to me, presented an incredibly simple but also perfect sort of, like, uh, seesaw film. And he is good at these seesaw sort of films. I've always liked Nolan's villains are always justified Mm. in their means. Yep. Um, Like, I mean, you look at Interstellar with Matt Damon's character incredibly justified in being an absolute... What a great surprise that was. Was a, the first was time a, you watched that movie, Matt Damon comes Yeah, out and I mean, of course, you can talk surprise. about the Dark Knight trilogy and all three of the strong villains yeah. that those, I think, they showcase. Some people think Neeson in Begins is the weakest, which he is, but it doesn't mean he's weak. Yeah, I I, yeah, I can kind of agree with that. I like... But he's not I, weak. I, mean, yeah. I, I think he's... Especially with the callback in uh, Dark Knight Rises to his story, which That's I liked. That's right. Um... And I think you consistently. I personally not a big fan of the Prestige. Um, okay. Which I have yet to see that, okay. but I own it now. Oh, I bought well, it when me and Jesse went on that hunt a couple of weeks back. If, I did buy it, so I'm ready to watch, watch it. If you watch it in the next week, you'll have to let us know your verdict on it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, what was your initial reaction with Memento? With Memento. Um. All right. So yeah, I watched it this morning. Now it's interesting because I think the context, in terms of my opinion on the film, the context around it is very important. I thought I got spoiled a lot of aspects about it. Turns out I was either wrong, or they were not spoilers. I thought the the fact the narrative structure, the fact that the film is basically played in reverse chronological order. Yes. I thought that was a spoiler. I thought that was a reveal at the end that I got ruined. 
turns out you know that immediately. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, awesome. He does uh, like the D-A-B-C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like the, it's going backwards. Great structure. And even like, even like an hour and a half in, like even towards the end, you kind of, sometimes it took me a couple of seconds to be like, oh, that's right. This happened. Like just to catch up yes. with a couple of certain things. Like that stuff was just so experimental and it kind of mm. shows you what Nolan does on a budget. And I really, really enjoyed that. That being said, it de- definitely, um, it definitely felt more like a student feature in that regard, where he's testing a lot of the bounds. Yeah, it's... and he's lost the scope of every other film that he has that includes a budget. For example, every, I um, I'm guessing every film Batman Begins and post Batman Begins just kind of has this level of scope, mm-hmm. and um like gravitas to it while this film is much 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 more grounded like like is it doodlebug that we watched doodlebug and that's um the same year he did his first feature so yeah really so that two three minute short film he did which is was that a student film did he, did he i do believe that film? was yeah i think we watched a line of them we watched wes anderson's first short film we watched a lot of them the same day which obviously wes anderson will absolutely be one of our future directors absolutely. to talk about because i haven't watched yeah. a lot of wes anderson but anyway back to nolan yeah it's i definitely agree there are aspects of this film that get a little bit shaky um, in the yeah. sense of, like, they definitely feel more like there was still room for him to grow, which there's nothing wrong with with that. Nothing to grow. There's always room to grow everywhere. Yeah, and I think he's consistently growing, which is amazing because that's I think that's the biggest problem when you, when you become an ageing sort of director who's pulled out success after success after success. It's quite easy yeah. to plateau and become complacent, whereas yeah. he feels like, like you said, he's used the evolution in technology, the increases in his budgets, not mm. to get lazy with his filmmaking, actually use it as a platform to try more risque yeah. things. You know? No, I absolutely agree. Like even just some of the you go to Dunkirk, for example, just some of the stuff he does with that budget, with like all the aerial stuff or just yeah. the production design, the scope of how many people are on camera and on set and stuff, just that stuff's insane and that's that's where your budget needs to go. I know a big a big cornerstone of what Nolan was that kind of sums him up was the inception scene in which okay. Joseph Gordon Levitt is fighting and it's rotating. And it's rotating, yeah. And all that's practical. A, that's practical, and that's on a cement truck. Yeah. How and, how brilliant is that? But uh, yeah. it, it would be so easy to be like, oh yeah, we'll just uh, I don't know, put it on a green screen and flip the flip the room around as as Levitt would be yeah, rotating exactly. on a green screen wire, and it's like, no, 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 that's a cement truck rotating, and it's yeah. like that's the difference. That's what you need to do. And yeah. that's I think that's why this film definitely feels like his his scripts may have become probably a little bit more streamlined than this one. This one feels like a really clever idea. Okay. But I feel yep. like things, like, if you look... I mean, let's look from Batman Begins onwards yep. as that sort of... That's kind of where he shifts more into blockbuster territory, yeah. right? The plots become a little bit more simpler and a little bit more streamlined because they have to be. Well, I feel... I mean, this is a detective crime story. Yeah. So they always have that kind of element of mystery and piecing together things and obviously play play with that but i I do feel like though with memento if you're not switched on you can get confused probably pretty quickly yeah i feel like in this that film i feel like it's very like uh if you're like you if you aren't paying 100 percent to the screen right the ending could come off a little bit jarring maybe i don't even 
think so, to be honest. I think this is actually surprisingly easy to follow. Okay. Especially once you work out the rules of the story and what's happening. That's always a good thing with Nolan films. He does establish rules of universe quite well. I think my one that has always confused me is when people get confused in Inception. Mm. And whereas there is an entire scene where Leonardo DiCaprio exposits the entire rules to Ellen Page. That's right, yeah. Of how Inception works. And I think that that film does a really good job of it and makes makes you know makes it pretty easy to interpret what exactly is going on in it but yeah. uh, I, I think you're right it's definitely a Nolan thing that he just actually has a way of really streamlining all of his ideas into something quite coherent yeah. I think that's him and his relationship with his brother and um I mean Everett Thompson I believe that's his wife and yes. she produces virtually everything he does um, to some degree, must be cool having a team like that. Oh God, you imagine that's that's a family and a half. Imagine their imagine their um, Thanksgiving dinners. <laughs> <laughs> Probably just shooting the next film idea across the table. Yeah, exactly. No, nah, that would be amazing. Salt, I have Inception too. But I, I love that. Um, I don't want to deviate too far, but I do love that he kind of has his team. Like he's got the he's had the same composer since you know such and such, and he's had the same cinematographer since such and such. That same actors, you know. Yeah, is this like the only film that Michael Caine's not in? Yeah, it's done. It's definitely, it definitely feels like that. I mean, sometimes, I mean, you pick actors up along the way. Yeah. Then they've Guy Pierce in a lot of things. Funny enough, like yeah. Guy Pierce doesn't come back in a lot of his films. Yeah, uh, which is interesting. Um, but I definitely think the older he's gotten, the definitely the more consistent uh, acting. Pl- right, in terms of his current cast and stuff, like yeah, yeah, but bringing he's, people back in. Tom Hardy's definitely one of his big go-to. He's kind of in there now, you know. You had um. Inception. Inc- I mean, Christian Bale, Joseph got a level was in Inception and Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. You know. Um, Hardy was But you get, you get those one-and-offs. I think Matthew McConaughey is probably one of those one-offs. Yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio's Damon. The one-off. Matt Damon, exactly, yeah. You d- I mean, definitely we might see now them. Then. They might be in the 2020 film. For you me. never know. You never That'd know. That'd be interesting. Highlight scenes, Jake. Highlight scenes? Was there any are scenes? We, are that... we jumping ahead? What's going I mean, on? Is there, is there anything you'd like to cover? Um, what, before we do our highlight scenes? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like we haven't really talked about the movie itself that much. We're okay. mostly talking about Nolan. Well, I mean, I think the big things that I noticed in the film were, I like I, I like your diagnosis where it feels a little bit a little bit like, you know, he still had room to improve. Well, I, not even that, just the student feel of it, the um, kind of young filmmaker feel behind it wasn't a bad thing for me. No. I really liked that. Yeah, well, it becomes more relatable even as a you know yeah. as that's what we are. I could kind of see the making as opposed to his later I, films where you I need like a huge crew for that. The small scope of actors, it doesn't feel too ambitious. Yeah, to absolutely. I think Guy Pierce's performance is just crazy good mm. when you think about it. It's what he has to do as a character. He yeah, has to do as a character. I think his um, even Carrie Ann Moss's character, she's quite awesome in it, especially. Mm. Particular scene, it kind of branches around the film. Uh, I love the structure, the the, the DABC, but the chemistry between Joe, you know, I hate to mess up his surname, but Joe Papiano <laughs> and Pierce between the characters yeah. of Lenny and Teddy. Oh, Teddy. Because Teddy's very much like, they all use him, which I always... They all like. use him, man, and... um. What's her name? Natalie. Man, there's that one scene where she just straight up 180s on him and yes. like tricks him into thinking that someone else like punched him in the face. Like, yes. That, I was like, that's insane. That's in one of my highlight scenes, which yeah. is why I was like kind of trying to branch between the two. 
But yeah, that scene's perfect. That's a perfect example of how they use him as a character. Yeah. And I mean, when we get towards the ending and it starts to reveal some like certain certain aspects, of course we're going to spoil Memento. If you haven't seen it. You've had 19 years to watch it. You this, had 19 so. years to watch it. It took us 19 <laughs> years to get here, but uh, we're here. I was surprised that I had the wrong quote-unquote spoilers. I honestly thought... And then for some reason, I thought that I had been spoiled that he was actually... He killed his own wife. I thought that was it too. That's for some re- reason, I thought that was it and I got spoiled, but no, it wasn't. I, I was in the same school. I was yeah. like... I was like... Does that mean there's like this unspoken memento bond where it's like <laughs> we have to tell everyone Lenny killed the killed his wife? Maybe. I think I think what we might have picked up was the idea that he does he literally sabotages himself to keep going. I mean, yes. that's what we might have got spoiled and somehow connected the dots. Well, it feels like he's consistently doing a circle, yeah, like of, of of killing people. But at the same time, he's also just self-detrimental. But the, the the interesting part is his character thinks he's not as flawed as what he yeah like what That's he what actually is. I remember thinking the question on the way here. I was like, is he a likable character? And you can't because you don't really get a sense of his character because he has to always he's on the reset button yes. all the time. Which is a fascinating is thing for a young filmmaker to tackle such a really tricky sort of idea yeah uh, which is it's fascinating how much research you would have had to do i love the just a lot of narrative work and well, that script i mean i don't think he's a likable character i mean for starters the character of of lenny lenny he used to work in insurance and right, that's right yeah, that's hardly an occupation that's tied with likable characters working in insurance these are the people that i mean yeah. his character literally even but though he, this... ma- he makes up that story, though. I know. So it's... it's like, is was he even working with insurance to begin with? Well, like, it's it. all questionable. I think that's the the crazy part, is he ties a story to him, even though it's not an accurate story, but that backstory that he ties to himself doesn't portray him in a good light. Right. Because he's the guy who cancels the claim on the gotcha. person that is mentally disabled but i think that goes towards him self-sabotaging he's giving himself excuses to keep going out there and yeah. keep killing people essentially it's fascinating yeah i think i think the, it, there's a real character study here as well as the narrative stuff that i think is like chose an easy film to start with uh, <laughs> with this this director's corner sort of style but yeah, yeah i think it's a really interesting film because did he murder his wife? And is this the way of him repressing the memory? I, not... I don't think so. I believe what... um, God, how am I forgetting his name again? The cop, undercover cop. Yes. You literally just Teddy, his name. Teddy, Teddy, Teddy. Teddy. Say... I, was, I wanted to say Lenny, but I say, oh, dude. Teddy no. says to Lenny. Teddy, I believe everything that Teddy says. Yes. But I also question why would Teddy let this continue on? That I didn't quite well, he's a crooked get. cop. Oh, so that's uses... right, because he's doing so the deal. So he uses deal. Lenny okay. as an incentive to get the, so the forty thousand dollars, I think it is. Yeah, because yeah. he's that like keeps oh. being that reset button. Because what he can, how yeah. can you? How he's literally the per. What at the at its core, people are using Lenny to, to get away with stuff. They're using him to kill people because he wouldn't remember killing the people. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, it leads to Teddy's demise that we see in the first act. Yeah, because Teddy, which was quite clever that they they show that he intentionally targets him. Yes. By picking the license plate and making t- tattooing himself on him. Yeah, because it's... Like, fuck. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah, it's a uh, really well thought out script. And it does this thing that I I would love to know how he manages to keep it so watertight. 
Yeah. Because for me, I've my method of keeping plots watertight has only I've only just started doing it is mind mapping character relations. Okay. Almost in a memento like liter- style, like literally doing it. Yeah, yeah. literally writing out. Normally, I do it on a glass window with like a, a chalk marker or a whiteboard marker, right. like going this character does this to this character because of this, and that's how you kind of you get those water. You try and get a more watertight script. Yeah. I don't think it's foolproof my method yet, but it's it's definitely you're really stretching your vision with that in a good way. Well, yeah, it's a vision board because you're yeah, really so. you're really mapping it all together quite literally if you're physically mm-hmm. doing it. Well, why does Lenny and write down don't trust Teddy? Oh, well, now we know why. Yeah. Because Nat says don't trust Teddy. So now he's doing that. And yeah. then, like, Natalie talks about losing someone. So that's... A, he literally does that. Like, he literally goes, why Why did Why did Lenny do this thing? Mm-hmm. Oh, because of this thing. Why yeah. did Why did Why did Teddy do this? Oh, because of this thing. Like, and it makes sense for his character to obviously do that. I feel like if objective. I was writing a script even close to Memento, I would need a hell of vision board. <laughs> I'd be like, well, this character does this for this. And this well, does- I remember scrolling through this when I was reading about Nolan, there was actually like an image. It must have been some sort of mind map or something that actually was the structure of this film. Well, and I purposely didn't look at it now, until now. I've seen the film, so I'm mm-hmm. going to look at it. But like this People do had a sticky little- note boards yeah. too. They do like the character journey on sticky notes. Yeah. That's a big one I've seen. Um, I think it gets a little confusing, but it works for yeah. some people. I've definitely the only experience I've had, like really having to do this uh, mm-hmm. specifically, because usually I can, w- without physically mapping, I can usually do pretty well at character motivation and stuff like that. I think when I did Evasion, which for those who don't know, is this like eleven episode web series uh, or TV show that I'm, you know, still trying to boot to this day, just kind of on the side. That whole script is written and that whole story outline is there. But I remember that it, it took me years to write that because it all needed to make sense. Yeah. And that does take a very long time, especially in a film like this, to do. And I think that's that's at its core. His patience has been probably what's been the most successful with him. Like, okay, yeah. I feel like he doesn't seem to... He seems to th- obviously take a lot of time. And probably having such a close group. Yeah, he's got his group kind of... really does help. Because we've kind of got that ourselves. We've got our own circle, yeah. you know? Yeah, obviously way earlier in but, the journey. Um, but... Way earlier in the journey, but like you of all people can talk about how that is so helpful to have yeah, having your a crew, like an honest, consistent crew Yes, to just work with and always build, always build, always build. Exactly, yeah. And I think that's definitely helped a lot. Yeah. And it helps with films like this because it makes them so well thought out. And I would love you to check out Insomnia's follow-up film from this. Cause... I think it's just obviously following Insomnia and prestige i'm pretty sure that's it and then i've seen his entire filmography that's insane which that's is good. i would probably have to r- look at mine we only, he only does films every i mean only he does films every two to three years but you know but I, I was on it early so i caught doesn't up doesn't that mean I he's just up. taking his time right he's just consistently makes he wants to make every film well thought out yeah, and exactly. i think the prestige is well thought out it's just not your style. Just it feels or... like it twists too much. Okay. It feels a bit too unnecessarily twisty. Yeah, I think that might be. Do you like twist... twisties? Do you like eating twisties? Not, not really, to be honest. Well, there you go. That's your main problem with the Prestige. Well, um, highlight <laughs> scenes, I guess, Jakey. All right, yeah, I think we can jump into highlight scenes. Um, I really, I really enjoyed this film. Um, I have a few highlight scenes. Well, a few scenes I want to talk about. I, I definitely have my definitive highlight. Yep. Which I think might surprise you. You might have on your list. I don't know. Give me, give me some of yours. Throw oh, well, at me. We, we throw the big one out, the Nat-Lenny confrontation. That was one of my favourite scenes. Loved that scene. Because, holy... She's horrible in it. 
Yeah. Love it. <laughs> but and she flips on a dime, and it's uh, but it, it kind of came I, out of nowhere a little at, bit. At the end of the day, I think Nolan has not tried to make likable characters. In fact, he's tried to make you like characters, and the longer the story's gone, it's kind of gone from likable to reclusive. Right back, I think. The character of Teddy seems relatively pleasant at the start. The character of, of, of Natalie seems well, it, pretty... Well, is Teddy pleasant at the start? Because you spend most of the film thinking he's the murderer. Yeah, I guess. So there's but, always that level of distrust. Which is funny, because he's the, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe we're, But the character of uh, Natalie, the first time we meet Natalie, she's bruised up, but she's, like, Helping. pleasant and helpful. Yeah. So I think he's trying to revert... Uh, it's ironically, because of the film's format, he's trying to reverse expectation of characterization. To, yeah. Well, that's tr- the thing. You, you when, Nat, when Natalie does that thing and basically turns on a dime and mm-hmm. says all this horrible stuff to him, you because you have all the concept of what happens after that, that's what is the real punch of, like, yes. she's, like, just a couple of days later, she's, like, kissing him, being like, you're going to remember me this time, and kind of... Yeah. I feel like start, trying to start some sort of relationship, and it's like, with that context, it's like, okay, this is even worse, Especially because when this happens up before. With, with, like, her, at the start of the scene, she's removing all the pens from the scene, yeah. so you can't write anything down, and then he's frantically looking for a pen. Start, and then just... And it, but that's that right there. That scene is so well thought out. Yeah. Because obviously Christopher Nolan, he, Nolan's gone. All right. How am I going to make this scene happen without Lenny remembering this scene, without writing stuff down? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, well you I'll can't just, write something. Down. I'll make Carrie Ann Moss remo- Natalie remove all the the pens at the start of the scene, which seems like it's a throwaway shot because she's yelling and abusing him while she's taking all these yeah. pens, and you're like, that's a little weird. It's actually taking- quite orchestrated, exactly. Very orchestrated mm. filmmaking. That's probably the best way of describing him in general. He's just in general, absolutely. He's filmmaker. so on top of his game with that kind of stuff. What other scenes did you like? I loved the final conclusion where it kind okay. of conjoints the black. That's uh, right, yep. The black and white to colour transition. Because you're, you're always trying to work out when that takes place in the storyline. Absolutely. I always thought it was at the very end, long after he's killed Teddy. Mm-hmm. But it turns out it's not. No. Nah. And it's, like, literally one of the most, uh, I was just sitting there, I was like, I was just going, like, when I make an audible, like, oh, yeah, like, 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 (laughs) oh, that's some good filmmaking right there. Oh, man. It's pretty cool. I still think my favorite reaction with you watching a movie with you or in a theater was actually, ironically, A Star is Born, the shallow sequence. I was just like. Before, before, at least in your mind, the film started going down and down and down. Yeah, yeah. Be but interesting to actually look that back a, on. That was well, a great that We'll reflection. have to save that for next week with I the actu- Oscars. I actually, yeah. I bought the Star is Now. Yes, now Blu-ray. Star is Born. Star is Born. Why did I say Star is Now? I would love to rewatch that with you. Let's rewatch that. I'm keen to rewatch it. Because I would... I've... I think I liked it better than you did overall, but I also agree with you. It drops after that first act. It's because the first act's so good. Yeah. The problem is you can't... It's keeping the momentum. Um, yeah. That, anyway, they're anyway. My, they're probably my two real... <laughs> Solid highlight scenes, and okay. they're really good. Okay, I feel like the rest of it sort of builds to those sort of mm. scenes, scenes like that. I was actually going to say this film surprisingly has that momentum, and actually, even though it's going backwards, you're still building to something. Yeah, I was quite surprised that it had that element too, and you still mm. wanted to know. It's like, oh well, I want to get to the moment when you know his wife dies, and obviously you think that's going to be the ending, and actually doesn't end up no. being any because then. What I feel like what I noticed is because you realize that okay, we're we're going days at a time, but we're really only spanning a few days 
I know over the course of this story. So I thought it was like, oh, okay, this only happened a few days ago, but then you find out it's actually been years. Yeah, and that was quite clever. Um, anyway, my favorite scenes. Mm-hmm. I actually had a few different ones from you. Okay. Um, I just want to talk about again. That first shot is very, very, very yes. clever. And it's all literally played in reverse. So it gives you that idea, tells you what's going on there. Um, and that's when I realized, oh, okay, that's not a spoiler. That's just the film is played yes. in reverse chronological order. Um, another great scene. And this, uh, it's a kind of very meta commentary is when it's his wife reading that book. And mm. he asks, like, why are you reading that? But you you know how it ends. You know what's going on. And then she says, well, I just enjoy reading it. Like, I don't, that's not part of my experience, which is obviously very self-referential for this film, the way the narrative yeah. structure works there. However, my favorite scene in the film has to be when he's talking about this made-up story of him, you know, insurance and this guy. I figured his name. Sandy? Yes. Sandy. Um, which I kind of wish that was real. But I understand why it wasn't. I understand how that plays into the mm-hmm. actual film and his story. But my favorite scene is when um, his wife just cannot accept that this is like a real illness. And she tricks him into constantly giving her or giving, yeah, giving her um, the shot. And yeah. what's the line? There's a line that she says and she repeats it like four times um, in well, the scene, which shot. is, uh, yeah, where. Yeah, time for my shot. Thank you. You're right. Time for my shot. So doesn't that mean he did kill his wife? Because of that scene? Yeah, because he's in that scene. I don't think so. I No, I don't think so. It's a, a crazy debate. I That's, might have it's to, good <laughs> that we can have a discussion. It's like the Inception ending. Yeah. Inception was a little more on the nose with the did it or didn't it or like that kind of how did it yeah, end in the sort of state. thing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but this one, I think you're right. I like that you keep bringing it up or keep asking because usually I'm just like, no, that's not it. But you might have a point. That being said, that was my favorite scene of the film because, like, when I realized what she was doing, she was basically risking her own life just to test him. Yeah. And he has no clue. And she dies. And yeah, not a made up story within the film. Oh, damn. I understand why they did it. But yeah, I just well, love that scene. Going I love to what be it making did. you remember for a long time. Yeah. Huh. I wish I watched this more than once before doing this recording. Well, Memento, of course, is out in wide release. I don't believe it's on Netflix, unfortunately. It's not on Netflix, I checked. Unfortunately. But obviously you can buy it on DVD and Blu-ray. And it's probably on some streaming service that I can't tell you because I don't have them. But <laughs> get it out on DVD. It's totally worth it. It's totally, totally worth it. I really and enjoyed it. Thank you for uh, being here for the first uh, Director's Corner, Jake. Yeah, I know. Oh, of course. Uh, I, w- I wouldn't have missed it. Thank you for uh, your great <laughs> films. So, uh, so yeah. yeah, now we move into... New in cinemas this week. Jake, you want to hit us up with that? You want me to hit you up with that list, boyo? All yes, right, well, let's see what's new in cinemas this week. Because um, last week, I actually did catch one of the options. It was uh, Cold Pursuit. Pursuit. I actually ended up watching that and hated it. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so what new? We got a Hit and Run Squad. That is a, I think, a Chinese film. I don't want to... Okay. Not 100% sure. A foreign film uh, came out this week. Not 100% sure what it is. Fair enough. All right. Uh, John McEnroe in the realm of perfection. This one, I am sure I know what this is. <laughs> this is a documentary that came out last year, technically. It did its festival run last year and probably is in wide release this week. Um, and it's about the famous John McEnroe yeah. and uh, sort of why he was the best in tennis. And it has a bunch of fan footage that's never... Yeah, okay. Apparently he had a... I think it's a French crew following him around. Right, okay. 
And of course, it's just interesting to. It's apparently a very unique style documentary that's actually quite great. Awesome. Does it have any behind the scenes footage from his cameo in Mr. Deeds, the great Adam Sandler movie? No, I don't think so. Then I don't want to watch it. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Stan and Ollie. Stan and Ollie is a film that Jack Bett was talking about the other day. Oh, Jackie Bett. Another ZKJ uh, alumni, I think. Well, member? Member? Okay. Um, um, basically it's about these Charlie Chapman-esque performers. Uh, Jack did not like the look of it, basically, but he's also the guy trying to get us to watch Alita, so we don't respect I don't get this. We're in this group chat, and, like, every single day, Jack just updates us on the Rotten Tomatoes score for for this film. If it's certified fresh, we're going to go see it. I Uh -uh. I, I kind of want to see it out of morbid curiosity, but, like, I don't... Jack, you know what? Why? If we all go see it together, <laughs> and there's no one in the theater, I will go. So I will. Go, I will <laughs> watch on a random Wednesday night. Yes, late night. Does that work? Do we have? Do we have classes? We got to be where we got. We're gonna have our classes back yeah, in motion now. I know. We got but uni's coming back up. We got to think be about. Interesting it. if we actually ever get anywhere in this uh this podcast. No, we'll be all right. Out. We'll record Sunday nights. Yes, Sunday night um, live at football. Um, anyway. An Australian documentary, I think this next one is. Oh, okay. Uh, you mean Undermine Tales from the Kimberley? Yes, this is definitely an Australian film. I'm not sure if it's a documentary or a series of short stories, kind of Buster Scruggs style. Um, it's actually a box of chocolates. It'd be very interesting. I actually really want to check it out. <laughs> I'm a sucker for seeing Australian films nowadays. Nice. Um, I think um, I think the Backlot are doing a um, like a donation uh, sort of charity thing, and they're playing um, Storm Boy soon. Oh, cool. I was going to let you know about that. I think we should Maybe go watch it. we should go it. see Stormboy. I think, I think it's actually like a charity thing in regards to homelessness, which... Then I will go see that. I think we should do. Um, um, that'd be awesome. We need to watch that film. And uh, last but not least, Vox Lux. The latest Natalie Portman and Jude Law film. Kind of getting mixed reviews. Okay. Honestly, not doing, not doing too great. I kind of liked yeah. the trailer for it. Saw it the other day, the trailer. But unfortunately, getting mixed reviews... I think it just came around the wrong time with the whole Star is Born stuff. Right. So, next week on the show. Now yes, this is so techni- next week, we are bringing in our first guest. Yes, Jesse Newell, after weeks of campaigning, will finally join us <laughs> on the show. And we're going to be watching Yorgos Lathamos's first film. I swear, if this is not his first film... I'm going to be very into Oh, it. if it isn't, we can we can give Jess, Jesse crap for it. Yes. Because he gave us crap for Nolan's first film. Dogtooth. Dogtooth. Yorgos Lathamos's Dogtooth. 2009 film is a drama thriller. A controlling, manipulative father locks his three adult offsprings in a state of perpetual childhood by keeping them prisoner within a sprawling family compound. The children are bored to tears in spite of distractions like Christina, an employee of their father who regularly visits to sexually service the son. Increasingly curious about the outside world, the old adulter hatches a plan to escape. Big off. That is a big oof, of course. Um, <laughs> as Jake laughs that one off. It's a big oof. I what are you watched, getting us into, Jesse? <laughs> I don't know. I think he has The Killing of the Sacred Deer as the film between that and The Lobster. Of course, yes. you and I have both We've seen... We've seen both The Lobster and The Favourite. And The Favourite. So we haven't seen The Sacred Deer, and this one came before this. This is Dogtooth. I know there's... An, I think there's one in between. 
those. I'm not 100% Surely. sure on Lathamos filmography. Only have watched both those films, Lobster and Favourite, this year as a part of my 365 challenge. Ooh, I dug plug, the Lobster. I thought the Favourite was cool. I like some of the stuff in the favorite, some of the stuff. In the... What do you think? What do you think, Oscar-wise, the favorite's gonna win? Anything? I would love it to win costume design. Yeah, I was gonna say um, production design, costume design, like all that. Yeah, just the Black Panther doesn't win. And... <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. But if, if Black Panther wins best production, anything, production design, costume, whatever, like, I wouldn't be that mad to be honest. No, I think they're the things it deserves to win. It's out fine. Of it's visually pretty. Yeah. CGI is horrible. Thank God I didn't get nominated for Best Visuals. I don't know what anyone is smoking who praises the visuals in that film. Even for a Marvel film, that is terrible. <laughs> As you can see, Jake is he's still... Try- he's trying to save, do this bloody performance for, the, to his dad, for his dead dad. And he's in front of a green screen, bloody jumping around yelling. I'm like, come on, man. Mate, save it for the, uh, save it for the Oscar I episode. I love you. Anyway, it'll be great to have Jesse on the show. Save I am looking forward to screen. Dogtooth. Uh, I'm sure Jake is too. That was his. That was his film. Our guest of the week is. It will be his. And film I that think he that's honestly something I'd like to incorporate. Now, guess I think the guest should pick the pick the uh, film. Yeah. Uh, I think that'll be a lot of fun. Um, he's seen it before. I don't know how long ago he saw the film. He told us to brace ourselves for more weird. Oh, uh, heads up! We just got another ticket purchase for the premiere of Disconnected. Congratulations! Thank you, thank you. Uh, that's selling out fast. You want to go check that out on either the Disconnected page or I imagine through Clicker Productions. You can go through Clicker Productions' Facebook page, and that is mm-hmm. the best, easiest way to get tickets to the event on March first. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for another episode, Jake. Thank I was, you. Yeah, that was cool. I was Zeke Morganheim. I was Jake Diagrella. And thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week with Dog 2. Woo!